dedicated energy. Thank you. Good morning. <laughs> All right. You guys ready to focus a little bit? Uh, welcome. My name's Jesse, and um, we're uh, I'm doing announcements this morning, so here I am. Uh, welcome to Sierra Bible Church. If I've not met you, like I said, my name's Jesse. I'm part of the team here. Uh, Want to welcome you. In the front seat of your pocket is a little uh, card if you're brand new that tells you about who we are. Uh, our vision is on there. Uh, a little bit of information about us, all of the ways you can connect with us are on there. There's a QR code. If you know how to use those, that will take you to all of our good stuff. We have an app. All of our information is on the app. All of our information is on the web. All of our information is on all social media places. So if you don't know what's happening at our church, it's not because we haven't tried to let you know, okay? It's everywhere. So a few things that we want to make you aware of. Uh, one, the, um, uh, let me see, ladies' night is in July, July 3rd. So once, uh, what is it? The, is it once a month or twice a month? I'm trying to remember. Once a month. Once a month, first Monday of every month, right? First Monday of every month, our gals get together, they fellowship. Want to invite you to that if you're looking for a way to connect. If you're a gal, you want to get to know some other ladies, want to invite you to that great uh, time. Then in addition to that, we're also still continuing to push and uh, try to make you informed of our VBS program for our kids. So we do, uh, I think it's four days, four full days, Monday through Thursday. If you have kids that uh, want to sign up for that or you have a child that you know, maybe they don't wanna sign up, but you want to sign them up, that's totally acceptable as well. Uh, but uh, this is a great, great uh, opportunity and uh, there's a place for you to serve there also. And then uh, lastly, some of you might remember uh, Shannon Brimer, who's now Shannon Phillips. Uh, she was the director of Scarlet Hope, and Scarlet Hope is an organization out of Reno, Nevada, that basically reaches out to uh, women of uh, what, what, what would you, what would we say? What's the nice way to say it? Uh, women of the evening. Um, yeah, those who have been, those who have been either trafficked or they're in clubs. Uh, they they go. They literally go to these clubs. They love on these gals. They share Jesus with them. They're invited in. And like I said, Shannon was the director. She got married. She moved to Tennessee. She did. She's no longer here. Guess what? She's also pregnant. So this is what happens in life, right? <laughs> uh, so Haley, you're next. No, you have kids, don't you? You have kids, okay. Well, before I say something stupid, let's invite Haley up. <laughs> Anna. There might be a debated thing whether I said something stupid already. <laughs> Haley, tell them a little bit about yourself and awesome. what you do. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm Haley. I did take over for Shannon back in February, and we are growing, which is super cool. So she was part-time, and I'm full-time. There's just a bigger need, which is really cool. Um, and so I just want to share really quickly kind of where we're headed. I know a lot of you know that we do outreach into the strip clubs and one brothel, um, but I wanted to share that and this could be good news if you've been wanting to get involved, but it's too much to drive down to Reno to come join us on Thursday nights from like 10 p.m. to 1 a.m. I get it. So, um, although we have had volunteers from up here, which is super awesome. Um, but I did want to share that we are going to be doing text outreach starting August, where we will be able to use an online platform where we can reach out to the women via text who have posted ads online. This is going to be getting more into the realm of full-blown prostitution versus just working in the clubs it's all sexual exploitation. I call them women who have been commercially sexually exploited, but it's quite the mouthful, just so you know. <laughs> I'll try to remember that. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyways, so um, because of that, we can do that outreach during the day, during the week, um, different times throughout the week, whatever works for people. I really wanna be flexible, and so that's kind of what we're gonna be doing. It won't be on a phone, it'll be on a computer. It's safe, nobody can track it. And we get all of the information downloaded from the ads without actually having to go online and look through them. Praise God. It filters through, it blurs images, it's really safe, and um, just a really awesome way. We can actually reach another 2,000 women um, by doing that, where right now we can reach 150 women a week. So I'm really excited. We're going to be partnering with other organizations to do this because we cannot do it alone. I am one person, <laughs> and I have amazing volunteers, but even then we're about 12 people. 
Um, and that's a lot to reach 2,000. So anyways, if God puts something on your heart, there's lots of ways to be involved. There's financial giving monthly. There's prayer teams. There's prayer newsletter. I mean, there's we're in an on-site prayer team, and then as well as the text outreach. So if you want to come chat with me, I'll be in front of the church um, at my table that you probably already saw um, after this service and the next one. And so I would love to meet you. Um, yeah, it's just really great to be here after hearing so many good things about this church from Shannon. So that's all, yeah. that's all I got. Thank you. Appreciate it. <clears throat> These are important ministries. And as you know, in a culture that is really confused with all of those things, uh, it's awesome that they were able to find somebody like Haley that could fit in for Shannon. I have a really high regard for Shannon. And uh, I know that they, uh, the organization there and those who do the hiring and know a lot of those folks, uh, Haley must be pretty awesome to have been hired. So take an opportunity, uh, say hello to her, get to know her. If you don't have a Bible this morning, uh, Yan would love to hand you a Bible, either Yan or Mary, right? We'll put Yan and Mary on the spot here. Uh, if you've not yet met Yan and Mary, this is Yan and Mary, and they're pretty awesome. So just raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible, keep your hand up. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to end uh, a chapter 2 this morning. Uh, which, uh, which hopefully you're okay with the pace in which we're moving at in this particular text. It's not a huge book, but it's a great book, and we're just taking our time going through it. If you remember, uh, by way of contrast or by way of reminder from where we're going to be, where we're going to be this morning, <clears throat> the first part of chapter two really uh, is Paul declaring to Christians the radical work that the gospel does inside of each and every one of our hearts. That is to say that when you make a proclamation of faith and you become one with Christ, that is the language that the church should be using. Yes, we are Christians, but the number one term in all of the Bible that describes who we are when we think of our identity, which is what this book is really all about, we are called in Christ. That's the number one term in all of Scripture. Christian, Christian the word Christian, I think only occurs two or three times. Uh, don't quote me on that, but it is, it's less than five. I can tell you that. And, and though that is a great term, one of the issues that we have in our culture, right, is when people say, well, statistically, Christians are just as likely to get a divorce, right? You hear those kind of stats, uh, that a lot of the things that ail culture, the, it is argued, is also inside of the church. And so, when you think of that, the thing that's kind of difficult is that every kind of nuanced piece of Christianity is thrown into those statistics. So that includes Mormonism, it includes Jehovah's Witnesses, it, it also includes the Catholic Church. And so when you look at those statistics as Christians, they, they're not really real. You can't trust them. So for what I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is that the state of Christianity is far better than what statistics would read in Barna and whatnot, right? Like, because we're not those other religions. And the reality is that when you actually look at Christianity, we'll take marriage as the example, and you take an evangelical Christian, like yourself, hopefully, this morning, and you study the Bible, and you love God's word, you, you have an appreciation for the fact that God speaks, you love the gospel. That, that is just another fancy way of saying you understand that you're saved by grace. When, when you are that kind of person and your spouse and you marry, we just had another great wedding yesterday, another young couple married in our church. When you enter into marriage with the foundation of the gospel and the word, the divorce rate drops to like, it's less than 10%. So you don't hear this, right? These aren't normal things that you hear. You typically hear the bad news. If you're a Christian, <laughs> you're likely to get a divorce just as much as people in culture. That, that's what you're told. And you go, oh, Christianity doesn't work. But then when you dig deep and you understand what it means to be in Christ, those of us who practice the in Christness that we have, our marriages are healthy, our families are healthier, our churches are healthier, and statistically, you can't argue with it. So, so all of that to be said, right? We're in Christ. And when we receive this salvation, there is something powerful that happens to you. You become new. You become, as the text has said to us in the previous weeks, a new creature. Then, 
what we talked about the last couple weeks, is how the power of God then plays out in community. And in chapter 2, we're literally told that Jesus Christ himself has taken down the dividing wall that separates us. And, and, and literally what he's talking about is between, in the, when it was written, Jews and Gentiles, right? So Jews, they had a particular way of life. Gentiles had a particular way of life. And Jews looked down on Gentiles. They saw them as the unchosen. And what the gospel says is that now there's no longer Jew, there's no longer Gentile, no longer male, no longer female. There is no such thing even as different races, different cultures, yes, but we are all of one race, the human race. And then when you become a Christian, you become part of a new nation, a new land, a new, you have a new leader. And for some of you, you may rejoice in this, and I hope to some degree you do. We have a leader of a country in the United States. He's not our leader as Christians, though. He may be leading our country. We should honor him. We should pray for him. Those are things that are in the Bible. But we have a governor. We have someone that leads us. We're not part of, and I know this is weird in our culture to say, because you're Americans, right? You don't want to hear this necessarily. You're not an American primarily. You're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Your kingdom is so much larger than the one we live in. And our leader has died on our behalf that we would be reconciled to our leader as individuals and as a community, right? So, so that's our nation. Now this morning, the, the title of the message this morning is Christian, preach it, preach it. And, and this morning what we're gonna see is that yes, to the context of scripture that we've been in, God himself has renewed us. God himself has recreated society. You're it. <laughs> you are a, a picture of heaven. An imperfect one, but nonetheless a picture, right? And then as we progress and we think the power of God, as we study, right? The power of God's in me, the power of God's in community. Now what is my role and responsibility as a Christian? And your role and responsibility is to propagate this gospel message, every single one of you. So this, the sermon this morning, the talk, the conversation we're having, whatever you want to call it, the lecture, is the importance of expanding the kingdom and the importance of what it is for you to be an evangelist. So years ago, <clears throat> I was 21 years old, I moved down to San Diego to go to a school of ministry, and I was handed a binder in this school of ministry, and on the front of the binder was a quote out of the, uh, the book of Timothy, and, and on it it said, do the work of an evangelist. You guys remember that out of Timothy? You guys remember that verse? <laughs> We're commanded to do the work of an evangelist. So let me just ask you this question up front before we get into the text. How are you at evangelizing? Like, like if you were to take a test, if there was one, on how efficient you are at sharing the gospel, would you pass? If you had an opportunity right now and someone walked up to you right now and just said, I want to become a Christian, what must I do? What would you say? Because, well, first of all, let's just acknowledge, uh, Piper actually is the, the quote I want to use for this. Piper says, virtually every Christian is grieved by his weakness in this area of evangelism. Piper says out front in this particular quote, every single one of us, if we're really honest when it comes to talking about the gospel, if we love Christ, if we love the word of God, if we've been part of the church for any period of time, every single one of us at some point in time has been grieved by our weakness in sharing the gospel, including myself. He goes on and says, did you know that every Christian feels this way? There is not a zealous Christian in this room who feels content with his effectiveness and personal evangelism. Is that true of you? Every Christian feels a lack in this area. 
We feel guilt for our timidity, regret for our missed opportunities, phony because of our lack of compassion for the lost, and fear that some program of evangelism is going, is this you? Is going to be pushed on us against our will. Have you been a part of a church at any point in time, maybe even here, where someone said, we're gonna teach you how to do this. We're gonna teach you how to share your faith. And we're gonna teach you, then we're gonna, we did this actually last year. Wasn't it last year, Doug? And then we're gonna send you downtown to go share the gospel and see how you do, right? That's scary. When I was in the school of ministry in San Diego, I had to do this. I had to take everything that I learned in the classroom go down to uh, the gas lamp in San Diego and basically do street evangelism. I learned how to preach in part through conversations on the street with homeless people, with drug addicts, with random people, and, and most of them don't want to talk to you. It's not a friendly conversation all the time. And he, go, he goes on, one of the most freeing things he says in this regard of our fear and our, our, under, our lack of understanding is to simply get this out on the table and admit that this is something that's hard to do. So can we just admit it? We know that sharing our faith is supposed to come natural, but it, it isn't always. And there are those of us in the room who have a, the gift of evangelism. That is that God uniquely gifts some of us in the body of Christ to preach the gospel. Have you met those people? You're all a little timid this morning. I had a buddy, man, every time we went to the restaurant, he shared the gospel with the waitress. And he did it in a way where, like, they were, it wasn't awkward. It wasn't weird, right? There's a way to share your faith that's weird. We've probably all done that. But there's a way to do it that's natural. And I will say up front, in part, my challenge in sharing the gospel is just simply to have faith that it is the most beautiful, perfect message that exists in all of humanity. And there should be no reason to ever fear telling people that Christ is inviting them into a relationship. Just that simple. God wants you to be in a close-knitted relationship where you feel loved, forgiven, guiltless without condemnation? I mean, come on. Is that something we should ever be ashamed of telling people? Christ can alleviate your depression. Christ can help heal your marriage. Christ can forgive you of all of your past, present, and future sins. Christ promises you a great future. These are things that we preach. These are things that should not be, we should never be afraid. We should never be worried about being timid but, it, but it's there, okay? So, so let's get into the text. Jump down to the bottom of chapter two. I'm, I'm not gonna make you stand this morning. It's okay to change it up every now and then, right? right. The, <laughs> the religious ones are like, no! How was church? We didn't stand. Um, verse eight, uh, actually I wanna start in verse 17, end of chapter two. I gave you some context earlier. Hopefully you remember that. And he, speaking of Jesus, what did he do? He came. Here's our word for this morning. And he preached. He preached what? Peace. He preached peace to you who were far off, peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. This is our oneness in Christ. The access is from him. The access is to him. He is the meeting place for this new community. Verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers or aliens, but you are fellow citizens, right? This is our country. You're fellow citizens with the saints and the members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple unto the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. Okay, so the end of that text is saying, is saying that God builds us up. There's an image here of the church starting with a foundation, the foundation of the church. Your heritage is deep, right? Family heritage means something. How many of you have ever done those ancestry things? 
Do you, you did it? Um, my my uh, parent and my uh, aunt did this a long time ago, found out, you know, we have all this family in the UK or whatever. And, and there was a, a, a season there where all of us were kind of really into what's our heritage. Our heritage as Christians starts with the apostles and the prophets. So when he says that in the text, what he's saying is, when you're invited into this family, this family has a rich heritage. You can go all the way back to Genesis. Your family begins with Adam and Eve. That's a sad story, but it started out beautiful, which is the promise of reconciliation later in the future. <clears throat> Excuse me. Then as we continue to progress through the Bible, Abraham is someone that's in this heritage, a man of faith. You progress further into the word of God, right? And we've got Moses, we've got David, we've got all the judges, we've got all of these great people like John the Baptist and his parents. That's your heritage, okay? That's your family. When you embrace Christ, the blood of Christ covers you and you receive a brand new family and your family is in this room. You are supposed to be to one another, brothers and sisters, united together in Christ, building us up as that cornerstone. And this morning when we read here, when he says he preached peace, now what we're talking about this morning is the great need that we need to continue to build this temple of God. You are a temple of God, all of you. You're stones built upon each other, fitted together. And what God is saying here is he's saying, okay, power of God in the individual, yes. Power of God in the community, yes power of God to ever expand the community of believers. I believe, not every pastor agrees with me, I'm gonna say this up front, we can talk about it later, but I believe every church should have a major emphasis on evangelism. Every church should be focusing on propagating, pushing forward our faith. Our faith is not to be a private faith. It is a public faith. And a church in its true identity of Christness is always expanding and growing. And that does happen here. People are getting saved here all the time. And you may think, well, how come we only have two services? We don't have three yet. We're talking about three services, just so you know. But, but one of the reasons the church isn't, isn't even more packed than it is is because people leave California on a regular basis. It's true. So as much as people get saved and they come in, they're also constantly leaving. Are you giggling because you're, you're, you're figuring out your exit? You're figuring out your exit strategy? <laughs> we love this church, but we're going to Nevada. Yeah. Oh, Florida. Yeah, I saw an article about that. It, it was not kind towards Californians moving to Florida. Like, stay away, Californians. You're hated people, man. <laughs> the nation doesn't even want us anymore. <clears throat> so he says in here, I want, th this is where I want to go this morning. I, I, I want you to see in the text when he says that Christ himself, as our example, when we look at the life of Christ, it's an example for us to follow. And it tells us here that Christ preaches this gospel message of forgiveness and salvation to those who are far off and those who are near. And, and that, that really is the scope of humanity. So I'm going to share with you two pieces of text and two pieces of in, in two chapters, John chapter 3, John chapter 4. And it's a picture of Jesus preaching to those who are considered far off and those who are near. Those who are far off from the text, just so you know, are the Gentiles. A people who grew up without any knowledge of God or Yahweh. A people who were not chosen like the Hebrews were. Those are those who are far off. If you are non-Jewish this morning, you're in the category or were in the category of far off. If you're a Gentile, that, that's you. But if you, if you are Jewish, you would be the one that's near. And what's interesting to note is if you're Jewish and you follow the law, which is who he's talking to, you're Jewish, you follow the law, Yahweh is your father, Abraham is your forefather, if that's you, you still need salvation. He's saying to the Jew, you think you're near, but you're really not. Really what the text is saying to a certain degree is everybody who's, 
everybody who's a human being is actually far off and is in need of preaching. The Bible tells us that, that people do not come to faith without somebody telling them of faith, which means in order for someone to be born again, the gospel has to be a proclamation. The word that's used here for preach is the word that, the Greek word, is the word that we get our word evangelism from. Christ here is saying he preached the gospel to every person, whether they were far off or not. So John 4, you can turn there. We're gonna go John 4, then John 3. And I'm not gonna read all of it, but the story isn't that long. You can peruse it as I'm kind of speaking to you so you can see this particular story. You are probably familiar with the story, but I want the contrast and the preaching of God's peace to these individuals to be an example for us to do likewise. So in this particular story, who remembers what it's about? Go ahead, you can look at your Bible. You can look down at the thing, that the, the big banner above your text. What's it about? It's about a Samaritan woman. Okay, so if you look at John chapter four, what you'll find about this woman is this woman comes in the middle of the day. We're told the sixth hour in the text. If you're looking at it, you'll see that. It says sixth hour, that's noon. Okay, so she's a Samaritan woman. She exists in Samaria. And she's coming in the heat of the day to get water. If you're reading it, you might look at that and say, that makes a lot of sense, right? Jesus is on a journey. He's actually going to Galilee. And he's pass- we're told specifically he's passing through Samaria to get to Galilee in the heat of the day. He stops at a well because he's thirsty. And there's this woman here. She comes. She's with Jesus there. His other guys are there as well. He begins to dialogue with her. The disciples are basically like, what are you doing talking to a woman as a rabbi? What are you doing? What are you doing talking to a Samaritan woman as a rabbi? So there's now two violations that Jesus as a rabbi is violating. Uh, He is violating, number one, he's a guy, a rabbi, talking to a woman. Ooh, bad news. The other thing that he's doing that's real taboo, he's walking through Samaria. Samaria is the most, where Jesus was at, to go to Samaria was the most direct route. Do you remember that in school? The most direct route between two points is a? That's what you do right? So it just makes logical sense. However, the Samaritans, (laughs) to give you some backstory, the Samaritans were viewed very negatively by the Jews because during exile, while they were in exile, what was planted with them was also the Assyrians and all of their false gods, all of their false worship, and all of that. Guess what some of the Hebrew women and Hebrew men did? They married Samaritans. And when they married those Samaritans, they became to the Jews a half-breed. And not only were they seen as a lesser-than breed, you have racism here, you also have the fact that they're mingling in their false worship. And so the Jews were like, Samaria is an ugly place. Later, the Hebrews started to come back to Yahweh, but they started to worship in their own temple. They did things their own way. And because of this, there literally was this huge divide. Hebrews don't talk to Samaritans. Hebrews don't walk through Samaria. To walk through Samaria is to to be unclean. So here is our Christ, our Savior, in a place he's not supposed to be, talking to a woman who he's not supposed to talk to. He's not supposed to be in this conversation with this particular woman. She's far off. And in the text, what happens is Jesus comes to her. He goes through the most direct route, and he comes to her, and he, he tells her, and says to her, listen, listen, if you knew who I was, you would be asking me for water. And I would give you water and you would never thirst again. And she's sitting here going, what, who is this guy talking to me? Then he begins to tell her her own sins. Do you, are you looking at this, the text? Do you remember it? Remember what he says to her? Oh, he says, he basically says to her, go home, talk to your man, tell him what's up. And she goes, well, I'm not married. And Jesus says, oh, I know. You've been around. You've been with several men, and the guy that you're with currently, not your husband. Do you know, as you look at the story, remember I told you the heat of day? That's not when women went to go get water. If the well was just like the water cooler thing, you know, you hear people at work, and they're like, hey, water cooler conversation. That's what the well was. And it was the women who typically went. So just imagine this culture. This is what it's like. If they need water, they would go in the evening, in the cool of the evening, as a group of ladies. Have you seen this in a restaurant when a group of ladies all get up and they all go to one location together? 
Same thing, right? They leave their little village. All the ladies go, and they fellowship with one another, and they talk, and they have conversation. All of the women would go do this together except for the Samaritan woman. She doesn't go in the cool of the day. She doesn't have community. She goes at night. Why? Because she's filled with shame. That's why. She feels guilt because she knows that she has been promiscuous. And in her guilt and in her shame, Jesus comes near and he preaches peace. And he says to her, basically, I'm here for your salvation. And she leaves that place with such a renewed heart. She goes back to the village and she begins to tell everybody. And what does she say? Come meet the man who knows my sins. Can you just resonate with that for a minute? What kind of encounter must one have with God where they become so liberated that they don't care to tell everybody all of the ugly things that they've done? Because her identity is now in Christ. Do you have that kind of freedom? This is what happens when Christ preaches to the heart and to the soul, to those who are far off. Now you have a contrast. Now go back. I did chapter four first for a purpose. That's most of us. Now go to chapter three. Contrast. The Bible's beautiful. (laughs) And, And the reason I'm always telling you to keep reading the Bible is because there are these stories and these contrasts that just take a little bit more time and a little bit more effort and a little bit more meditation. And all of a sudden, the stuff just starts to blossom. And you start to see what God's trying to communicate. In John chapter 3, where before we had an unnamed woman who came in the heat of day. In John chapter 3, if you're looking at it, again, I'm not going to read all of it to you, we will find a man with a name. John chapter 3, we're given a name. It's a man, not a woman. He has a name. His name is Nicodemus. He's a ruler of the Jews. He's supposed to be close to God. He doesn't come in the day like the woman did. When does he come? He comes at night. Why? Because he doesn't want his fellow Jews to see that he's inquiring of salvation from Jesus. So you have a guy who's supposed to be near to God. He's in the night of day. He comes and he asks Jesus, essentially he comes to him and he says, teacher, I know that you come from God. For no one can do the signs that you do unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him and said, here he is, he's preaching to the one who's supposed to be near. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, that's peace. That's the message of peace. If you want peace in your heart this morning, you need to ask Christ to come into your life and renew you and make you a brand new person. It's not possible outside of Christ to have peace. It's only in Christ where there's perfect peace. And so he says, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. That is a radical statement. And it's a statement that every person who doesn't know God needs to hear. That unless you know God, unless you come to God, unless you come to Jesus himself, the kingdom of God will not make any sense to you. And you won't see it. There are things in Christianity that are only illuminated by making a step of faith. And I know that's hard for some of us. We want to see the evidence first. But the evidence comes when God speaks to you. And that doesn't come from a preacher's mouth unless the Holy Spirit empowers it. I am powerless to save you. I am powerless to sanctify you. But when Jesus preaches through an imperfect preacher like myself and his message goes forth, God can use any message, even a message on tithing, to bring people to Jesus. So he comes at night, he's hiding, he has a name, he's close to God, and God speaks to him. All of these contrasts, right? You've got a no-name person with a name person. A religious leader, with a re- the next one's a religious outsider. One at night, one at day. One's a conversation about faith, the woman embodies faith. What's the message? 
Preach the gospel and be ready to preach the gospel to anyone, whether they're near you or they're far away, and trust God saves. And he does. I tell you a real neat story. The guy who did um, my wedding, he, he performed our wedding, uh, facilitated it, pastor, friend of mine, his name is Mickey Stonier. Great guy, wonderful Bible teacher. Uh, I shared an office right next to him. And man, just being able to learn from him, a little bit of osmosis, all of our offices had windows so I could you know, pick up on his body language and stuff, you know, just learning as much as I could from him. And he was a chaplain, still is actually, a chaplain in San Diego for the fire department. And so he works with firefighters and he loves on them and he loves on their wives. And as first responders, they see things, they, they experience things and he's there to help them walk through some of that stuff. And, and because he's been a chaplain, he's had all kinds of great conversations with firefighters who don't know Jesus. And one particular story that he shares is between uh, a, a man and his wife. The wife was a Christian, he was not. And she, and this is a very typical story, right? This was true in my home too. When my mom got saved, the first thing that she did, the first person she preached to was the one who was closest to her, right? Who was that? My dad, <laughs> right? And, and that, some of you know the story. My dad got saved because my mom said, you're going to a men's retreat or I'm leaving you. <laughs> yeah, evangel evangelism 101 right there, okay? He did. He packed his bags. He was cussing. Well, he was talking to Jesus in all kinds of really open ways. And, and he went and he came back and he got saved, right? He became a Christian. And this particular story that Mickey shares, he, he says, he's, he's telling the story about how he'd been meeting with his wife and the husband and they'd had some marital issues. Some of it was because of her faith and, and he didn't have faith. Some of that, not all together. A lot of it was just marital stuff. And of course, Mickey continued to share the gospel with him. And he tried, he was trying like week after week and he was meeting and he just wasn't being, he just wasn't receptive, he wasn't ready. He just wasn't ready. Effort, time, energy, prayer, no fruit. Then one day the guy comes back and he, he, he comes back, I think it's like two years later, he lost touch with him. He comes back to San Diego, he comes up to Mickey at church and he says, Mickey, I'm a Christian. And Mickey goes, how? He says, let me tell you how. He said, I, you know, as a firefighter, I was doing some EMT work and I was actually, you know, doing some paramedic stuff and we, we, we got called down to go pick up this homeless guy who was basically having a heart attack and we, we, put him, we put him into the ambulance and we were driving off and taking him to the hospital and he's pretty inebriated and, and pretty broken up and, and, and through his broken, inebriated voice, he says to the firefighter, this is what happens when you don't accept Jesus as your Savior. And he, he got saved. So imagine, to my mentor's surprise, finding out his education and his hard work and his ability to proclaim the gospel, which he's done year after year, century after century with faithfulness, and he finds out that it was a homeless guy who led him to Christ. See, God doesn't care how good the message is. He cares that you, you share in faith. And God can save anyone at any time. And if you jump a little further in Ephesians, back to our book, and you go to chapter 6, chapter 6 has some interesting words about sharing and preaching this gospel. And the word peace exists in chapter six again. So Paul repeats himself in chapter six. He's been talking about peace in chapter two. And in chapter six, he says it again. And this is what he says, tying in with our theme of preaching to those far and near. He says in shoes, he's talking about the armor of God. You put on shoes, shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. There's two key words in here that I think are very important. Feet, and readiness. What do feet do? They take you places, right? If you look at John chapter three and John chapter four, if you look at all of the gospel, Jesus is on the move, right? The dude walks everywhere. He's moving from point A to point B. And you'll even see at times where Jesus, there's one incredible story in the gospel where Jesus we're told he, he's basically running away from the Pharisees because it's not his time to die. He's going to be murdered. 
And he stops in the middle of that moment and he ministers to somebody. And he stops. He doesn't, he doesn't keep running. He stops. For, even though his life is in danger, he's willing to go, but he's willing to stop. Are you that kind of person of faith? Do you have a, do you first of all, see the gospel? You're going to remember this forever. <laughs> do you see the gospel as a shoe? Man, I, I have to put this on. <laughs> and I got to go somewhere. As a preacher, as a pastor, I love this part of my job, but I really enjoy talking to sinners. I thoroughly enjoy talking to people who don't know Jesus. It's a blast. Sometimes they've never heard of it, and our culture is becoming more and more ignorant to what the gospel is, to the reality that God exists. A.W. Pink is a great theologian. Some people don't like him, and that's okay. But A.W. Pink says this. He says, a saved person is a fit subject for teaching. If you're a Christian, you're a fit subject for teaching. But what the unsaved need is preaching. Preaching which will expose their depravity, exhibit their deep need for a savior, and then and not till then, reveal the one who is mighty to save. Hear what Pink's saying? Pink's saying, listen, you have to understand your sin. I talked about that last week. The title of the message last week was, I'm a problem. I'm the problem. Until you know that you need salvation, you won't call out for salvation. So if you're someone here this morning and you're exploring Christianity, the first step to embracing Christianity, and I'm doing this by way of example to say this is how you share your faith, is for people to understand and for you to understand you need saving. You're a problem. Your sin is a major issue between you and God that needs to be dealt with. And until you let Jesus deal with your sin, you're never going to call out for salvation. So if you think you don't need salvation, if you don't think you're a sinner, if you think you're perfect, the only people who, who really reject God are those who basically are saying, I don't need God. I have no need. I'm sufficient to meet my needs. And the world is sufficient to meet my needs. How is the world doing at meeting your needs? Yeah, not too great. It's just setting you up. We have need. He's, until you know, and he goes on, he says, listen, it is not that he is ignorant and needs instruction. This is the non-saved person. It's not that he's feeble and needs invigorating. It's not that he's sickly and needs doctoring. His case, and Ephesians tells us right in the beginning of chapter two, you can look at it, it's right there in verse one, I believe. He's not just sickly and needs doctoring. His case is far worse. He's dead in his trespasses and sins. This is not, this is not poetical figure of speech. It's a solemn reality. Little as it is perceived by the majority of people, the sinner is spiritually lifeless and needs quickening. He is a spiritual corpse and needs to be brought from death unto life. He is a member of the old creation, which is under the curse of God. And unless he is made a new creation in Christ, he will lie under that curse for all eternity. What the natural man needs above everything else is life, divine life. And as birth is the gateway to life, he must be born again. And except he be born again, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That is final. We need the kind of faith that is so real in us that when it comes out, what people hear is literally their hearts coming alive the stone falling off of the flesh. And the only way that that can invigorate you is you have to taste it first. You have to embrace this God and know what he has done for you. And once he kind of, you know, he gets in your life and you start to see what he does and you start to feel and sense who he is to you, that he completes you, that you have no need for anything else, that he is your identity, he is your source of energy, he is your forgiveness, he's everything. He's everything that we need. When you get that, you can't help but tell people about it. It's no different than the first time I fell in love with my wife, right? I had to tell everybody about her. I'll send a pictures to mom. Check this babe out. I got to share. And when you've encountered Christ, it's got to come out of your mouth. 
It should move your mouth. There was a statement years ago, really, it was really popular. Uh, preach the gospel and use words when necessary. A great quote, but it's wrong. It's wrong. Gospel means a proclamation of good news. You can't share the gospel with your life. You want to know why? Because your life is not the gospel. Your good works do not declare the goodness of God. Your faith, in spite of you being a bad person, (laughs) declares the goodness of God. It has to be proclaimed. Church, do you hear me? You cannot use that language. Oh, I just share with my good deeds and my good works. No, 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 no. That's great. That's good. It's not bad, but it has to be shared. You have to tell people. You have to speak it out loud because demons tremble when you say the name of Jesus Christ. I experienced that in San Diego. I was sharing my faith with a gal who was demon-possessed, and I told her, let's go to the Gospels. And you know what she said when I said, let's go to the Gospels? She said, we refuse to go there. Started looking around for the other people. Because the demon inside of her knew that if we go to the Gospel, those demons have zero power, zero authority over her, zero authority over me, that they have to submit, and they have to agree with what's true. Demons cannot... They cannot tell you that Jesus Christ is not God. They, can't do, they, the, they may lie to you, but when you call them on the carpet, like if you have that moment, and I know this sounds weird to you, and some of you are like, he's talking about demons. Dude, do you, church, you know demons are real, right? Amen. Come on. And so we preach and they run. Uh, to close this up here, I only got just, I should close here now, but let me, let me just share with you out of Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who's in Christ, the old has passed away, right? That's Ephesians talk. And then it says that because the old has passed away and the new has come, that God who reconciled the world to himself gave you as Christians the message of reconciliation that you would be an ambassador to Christ to share faith. That's your identity. If you're asking yourself, who am I as a Christian? One of the words that's used in addition to in Christ is an ambassador. What's an ambassador? An ambassador is a representative of another country, the leader of another country who goes to another country, represents that leader and gives the message to that other leader. That's who you are. You are an ambassador from the country of heaven. You are in another country that is not yours and you are to represent your king as an ambassador and share the gospel with as many people as you can. And the text tells us really kind of emphatically what we preach. So if you're going, okay, what do I share? You share what's in verse 18 down to the end of chapter two. Basically, just so you look at those details, talks about reconciliation. You're no longer a stranger. You're, you're a citizen. You're part of the family of God. These are things that are, are existing there. And if you take it in one big heading, here's basically what the chapter two says. You have very real access to God. When you share the gospel message, in part what you share is you can have access to God. His door is open. It's ju- just one little turn and push right through. Do you know that you have access to him this morning? He's not far away. Do you need comfort? Ask God for comfort. Do you need help in boldness and sharing faith? Ask for boldness. Is there someone in your family that's dying? Pray that God will heal them. Is there somebody who's far away from from Christ? Preach the gospel. Do you know someone who seems like they're near Christ? They're in this room, but they're not really near Christ. You know those people? Preach the gospel to them too. Access God, church. Access him. He is yours. Everything in the Trinity is yours. Quit walking around like you're some kind of mopey, beat up person living in California. You have the power of God. Okay. (laughs) Oh, man. I get going sometimes. and I never want to be part of something that's not alive. And life comes with passionate, fervent preaching, teaching for who Christ is. And when you know it, no one can take it away from you. Nobody. It's yours for life. And it's one of the best things, it's one of the best gifts I could give any human being. And I pray that you take it. And I pray that you don't 
hide it to yourself, but you share it with as many people as possible. I want to see us grow like bananas. Not to build a platform, right? You don't get people in a building to build a platform. The platform is to build people. That's what this is for. And God loves people. I know it's hard to believe, but he does. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. Let's close. I've ranted long enough. That was probably one of the longest messages I've ever preached, though. <clears throat> and I only know that because uh, I set a timer so I wouldn't go long. And I didn't turn it on. <laughs> Lord, we thank you that um, your truth is in the word and we have 100% access to that, Lord. If we're honest, we, we have more blessings when it comes to what you've shared with us than any other generation before us. Lord, you've given us podcasts, audiobooks, digital Bibles, Lord, online free resources. It's just endless. And all of it, Lord, unless we come to you in faith, is powerless. It's just knowledge and knowledge puffs up without your spirit. And we need your spirit, Lord. It is all of these things that which we're talking about, it even says it in this particular text. It's access in one spirit. And none of this happens without your spirit. And so we trust that you will empower us. We trust that you'll move hearts when, you, when we leave this place, that you will not allow certain words to be forgotten, that all of us in this room would become very excited about sharing our faith. And we trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I meant to say something else. By way of training you, training myself, training culture, if you will, one of the things that, in part from this, and also in part just where I'm at in my own faith and, and the direction of the church, I just want to make you aware of, of two really important months that we're going to prepare for as a church. And you're already, you already kind of are there, but I just want to get you guys ready for it, okay? So there are two big dates in the church calendar that are very important to our faith. Anybody know what they are? Christmas and Easter, you got it. So every Christmas and every Easter, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to kind of roll out a, an evangelistic campaign. And those two months are going to be two months where we dedicate every Sunday to praying for the lost, an emphasis on sharing our faith, and an emphasis on sharing the gospel on those Sundays. So two months out of the year, and one of the things I'm going to challenge you to do, we're going to, you know, I'm still brainstorming, but during that month, we're going to want you to put names on like little post-it notes, for instance, and hang those up. And hopefully by the end of those, that period of time, whether it's that year or two years down the road, we'll be able to look at some of those names that you've posted up there and that we've been praying for. And then one day they're going to walk into this room and they're going to declare salvation and we're going to rejoice like crazy. Amen. All right, you guys cool? That? Okay. Yeah, let's sing. <laughs>